This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Charlie Filmercourt. On today's programme, we're making things. We'll get sweaty in a sauna under construction in central London, talk about working with silver at Jörg Janssen, and look at the fabrication of glueless shoes with a team at Nike. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. We're diving straight into it now, as I recently visited a new architectural project, bringing a slice of Finland to the heart of London. Victoria Embankment Gardens is a tiny stretch of green in London, sandwiched between the River Thames and the Strand. On warm days in the capital, it's a nice spot for office workers to enjoy an alfresco lunch. However, considering the traffic on the surrounding roads, calling it an oasis of calm is probably somewhat of a stretch. That is, until now. That's because Finnish architect Sami Rintala has teamed up with the School of Architecture and Cities at the University of Westminster to bring a sauna to this bustling part of Zone 1. We like to work with the students and, and uh, teach future architects the best possible way, which is making things, making architecture. Um, if you need a nice function, and we come from Finland, we have obviously only one choice, <laughs> and this is the sauna. We are doing the most obvious thing, but we are doing it well. On the day of my visit, the team were putting the finishing touches to the structure, ahead of its opening to the public the following day. With little time to waste, Sammy even greeted me whilst working on the roof of the sauna. Despite such a tight deadline to meet, he took a few minutes to talk me through the project and its importance. So the most important thing here is that this travels on a, on a trailer, so we have a maximum transport size and way that limits us. And this is why the rooms may be at first uh, seem uh, quite small, but if you enter the sauna, which is the biggest room of these three, you will realize that it is uh, not only very comfortable, uh, smelling nice of uh, fresh cut wood, but also reminding of the London tube, which everybody knows very well. So this uh, project, we call it the finish line. Sammy and the team designed the sauna, encompassing cultural aspects from both London and Finland and saw the project through from start to finish, even assembling it themselves. These days, uh, wood has become really expensive because of the world situation and transport uh, problems. But we were lucky enough to get this uh, wood from UPM, which is a Finnish producer, and they donated all this uh, Finnish pine. It is very solid wood to use, but not too solid, so that we can still cut it easily with hand tools. On the site we only use hand tools, but this, all the wood has been CNC'd, uh, milled, so it has been a lot of uh, lab laboratory work. And this is where uh, Westminster University Fab Lab comes along. They are very good at this. Most of the work actually has happened in a cellar in Westminster. We are working with very precisely milled wood, and when you are setting them together you need also the same precision in the setting. And a precision is a beautiful thing, but it also creates challenges because wood is not a precise material. It bends 
warps, uh, it gets wet uh, and gets bigger and so to a certain extent you can be precise with certain things but you should know when and where really so normally we are not that precise because we are using sawn timber not milled timber this is more like uh, furniture making this time in big scale you shouldn't make a sauna ever too tight and too airtight it has to be a bit open structure like a wooden uh, Japanese sake cup which is just turned upside down that's maybe is the best image so the floor for instance doesn't need to be very very tight the heater as well it should be of good quality but everything else you should play with I think it's a bit like Italian pizza it's a robust idea and then you can put anything on it and still it's a pizza and of course in some uh, occasions you can't call it a pizza anymore but uh, I think the sauna is the same thing. You, you should just find your own version of it. The sauna is a vital part of Finnish culture, with Finns using them as a chance to relax and decompress, as well as for the plentiful health benefits they offer. I read also an article two weeks ago from The Guardian saying that uh, sauna is now really uh, making a breakthrough here in Britain. So I think it's more about... Uh, appreciation of certain uh, things in life that you you can allow yourself to relax and take good care of yourself and, and blend cultures this is what it is it's always been like this you already learned bathing uh, not by yourselves but also from the romans already and now this is the second wave or third or fifth wave even the, the kind of turkish english bath was a victorian thing and so it's just a repetition of the old but uh, in new forms As well as having a successful practice of his own, Sami is a passionate educator and a veteran of more than 200 educational workshops. As such, he understands the importance of providing opportunities like this for students. Well, this uh, workshop uh, design and building method is extremely good for the students. They not only learn about the materials they work with and the tools, they also kind of demystify the construction site at the same time because it's a bit frightening for young architects to enter building work. They also learn how to work together, how to respect timetables and budgets. Uh, it's very important things also in architecture. They see quickly what the design means in reality, what went wrong also. I've been doing these workshops, this is number 239 in uh, 25 years. So I've been learning and I all the time learn new things even now. Then, So it never stops the learning. Uh, Confucius in China a long time ago said that if you hear a thing you forget, if you see a thing you remember, if you do a thing you learn. And I believe in that. We hear now from Roberto, a participant in the sauna project, who told me how valuable this experience has been for him. This was a really unique chance to like take part in the sauna project. Everyone had uh, their input, so we basically proposed ideas and then we thought how useful were the ideas and evaluate if they would work or not and how feasible were for us to build it within like a lot of things and we can have. So obviously you need it's kind of be realistic, so we basically try to simplify the project as much as possible and make it really good visually, but then also being able to construct it within the time frame, which is a challenge as well. The sauna project at its core is simple. However, it does manage to encompass many fundamentals of design. 
in essence, reminding many of what architecture looks like at its most pure. Here's Sammy again. Architecture, good design is always a background, never a thing itself. And I think we forget this a little bit nowadays that everything tends to become quite expressive and you are kind of curating architecture and art. But I think good design is always a theatre stage for the people to perform. For Monocle in London, I'm Charlie Filmercourt. The Finnish sauna is open at the Victoria Embankment Gardens in London until the 8th of July 2022. The Foreign Desk is Monocle 24's weekly global affairs programme. We tackle the world's biggest news stories as well as those left untold. If actually you speak to the ordinary people, their aspirations is for a unified country, whether you talk to business people, to school teachers, to market traders and so on and so forth, across the board, is they want to see their country recreated as it was, only this time as a democratic, accountable system. Our expert guests offer in-depth analysis and first-hand experience. In one of the Ebola treatment centres I went to had been burned down by a community that were very resentful and frightened of Ebola and they still have a bunker in the middle. They've dug a big deep bunker where they can hide if people come and shoot at them. The Foreign Desk with me, Andrew Muller, is available every Saturday from midday London time, right here on Monocle 24. We head to Denmark now to pay a visit to Jörg Jensen. The Danish company has, since 1904, built a reputation for its work with silver, one solidified by the continued presence of silversmiths, who work by hand at its workshop, also known as a smithy, near Copenhagen. To celebrate this history, Jörg Jensen collaborated with Copenhagen-based design and architecture studio Spag on an X at the recent Three Days of Design Festival, on a special installation. Called Shaped by Silver, the exhibition reflected on the company's history and the challenges of working with silver. To learn more, Nick Manis spoke to Malin Witt, partner at Spagon and X, and Ragnar Jartersen, creative director at Jörg Jensen. Malin started by telling us about the development of this partnership. When Kiri Jensen was approaching us, we were very honoured, also because it is something that I've grown up with, I've known through my whole life, and it's, it's through generations. It's part of shaping what I understand, and my understanding of silver, and what silver is capable of doing. So when, we came, when you came, it was also with a very humbleness to the understanding of having this company with such a great heritage and then seeing how can we tell a story together. And I think that's um, we specialize in, in building identity. Some, sometimes people come to us to create a whole new identity, and sometimes it's a continuation of a long story. That was where we started. We were invited in uh, to visit the archive, which was like amazing a layer of storytelling. So seeing all that you've created through the years and seeing how you can tell so many different stories but still with such a strong narrative that goes through everything was uh, very fascinating and it's it's um, 
the way of it being simple and, and classic and elegant, but also very expressive. Like really distinct telling stories in, in a very small item. And I think that's what we as designers also wish to really do, tell stories with our design. So I feel that's where it all started. And then the craftsmanship, because we went to visit the silversmiths and uh, to see them and the way they work and also to see that they're still there. They're still like cherishing this craftsmanship that I feel it's it's very rare to meet. And even it was people that had generations, so their, their, their mother and fathers had also been there, and their great-grandfathers, so, or their grandfathers. Um. And then uh, one thing stroked me because I went to one of the silversmiths and he was doing one of the hammering of your um, small cups. Yes. And the care for the detail and this perfection, but still considering the imperfection that it was clear that it was made by hand. I feel that balance was so beautiful. Um, so that really inspired us and we then wanted to try and make a translation of this perception of silver and all the characteristics with silver um, and also with the inspiration from Gary Jensen with nature and always having the body in, in center I would say with everything that they surround themselves with that was our inspiration and then the title that you made shaped by silver which I think was a perfect title for for the beginning of a collaboration and and that's why we um, started uh, we made this digital translation to see how can we make a full embodiment of this being shaped by silver so you stand in the middle of the physical and the digital and we wanted to try and push the boundaries about the understanding of what it means and yeah that's that's where it started. I think that's very succinct. I mean, I want to I want to ask Ragnar about your your silversmithing operation here, and then maybe jump back to how that has in, influenced your work and your understanding and appreciation of silver, Milano. Can you tell us a little bit about what your Jensen does here in in Copenhagen? Yes. First of all, what I really liked about the approach is that it really went back to our origins because uh, silver is, is is really our origins. And uh, Georg Jensen, uh, when he founded the silversmithy in 1904. He had uh, a perfect understanding of the form and of the potential of silver. So uh, we have a silversmithy here in Copenhagen ever since, using exactly the same techniques and the same uh, skills uh, Georg Jensen uh, did in the past. Silver is really a, a beautiful material. Its softness makes it very interesting uh, to hammer it into shape, shaped by silver, that is exactly uh, what we do. And also its reflection. And its reflection is very special and we make it even very special because we have a very delicate hammer marks on our silver. And Georg Jensen said himself that it makes the silver shine like a moonlight in a Danish summer night. Very poetic. I mean, Milena, I want to ask, like, we're talking about that reflection there, we're talking about the hand craftsmanship. How did that influence ultimately the design and the approach you took? I mean, I guess I want to ask, as an architect, as a designer, what what's the relationship between a, a material's properties, the way you work with the material, and ultimately what you make? Yeah, I think for us it's always being in the balance between function, aesthetics and the qualities of a material and um, that's what we want to always have our focus on and here the thing with always being in, in movement, this thing about the form that takes shape transforming from one thing to another was a very big inspiration from us and, and, and also taking seeing the Gary Jensen design 
it's always also in movement. It's like from every angle you see it, it tells a story. It's never just from one one way, one direction. So it's for us, it was about how could we take that experience about just looking at a silver can or this your beautiful silver objects and see, okay, if we wanna um, take that near experience you have when you have it in your hands and then try and stretch it out to become something spatial. My thanks to Malin Witt and Ragnar Hjartason there. Monocle's bumper July-August double issue features our much-anticipated annual Quality of Life survey, which names the world's most livable cities. The report is the product of months of number crunching, long discussions and on-the-ground research by a network of correspondents. It reveals which metropolises are doing the most for their citizens and where is providing inspiring examples of how to build a better future. See which city came out top and if yours made the cut. Alongside dispatches on the business of language learning, briefings of the brands that will help you stay sharp and the top songs for a summer soundtrack. Order your copy of Monocle's July-August double issue today or subscribe to get instant access online. We turn to footwear. Monocle's executive editor Nolan Giles caught up with the team at Nike to discuss their latest release, the ISPA Link and the upcoming ISPA Link Axis. Both models feature an interlocking design that eliminates the need for glue in the production process. We hear now from Daryl Matthews, Vice President of Footwear Design for the Catalyst category at Nike, as well as Nicholas Schomberger, the brand's Senior Director of Corporate Narrative Communications. For our listeners, it would be good to start with a bit of a summary of how a training shoe is typically made. Because from what I understand, to create something like this, you have to change a lot of the processes. So what's the normal process when you, when you come to make a sneaker? And sorry, produce a sneaker. A normal sneaker uses quite a lot of energy to, to make. There's quite a large amount of glue, um, the cementation process we call and it's quite labour-intensive. The link, however, we've eradicated the glue, the cement, which is limiting the amount of energy that goes into the, the manufacturing process of the shoe. So, for example, we have no heating tunnels anymore, cooling tunnels, conveyor belt systems, uh, so it's a lot more energy-efficient. The shoe itself also only gets touched by about four people. They sit around a table and they assemble the shoe. It takes eight minutes to make, and it's a lot less labour-intensive. So how? How have you done this? Well, the whole concept is constructed by two main interlocking pieces of componentry, which is the tooling, the midsole is incorporated into the tooling, and then the upper. You could say that the lace is removable as well, so it's three in total, but the main two components is just the upper and the tooling. How? Well, this is, this is quite difficult to explain, but it's assembled by forcing the... <laughs> tooling through the collar of the shoe and it just interlocks with a geometry at the bottom of the shoe and then positioned accordingly by hand and eye yeah it's it's like do you put your sock on in the morning and you try and straighten it up it's a bit like that yeah and can i deconstruct and reconstruct my shoe as it ages or is it something more that it's it's about 
when it reaches its end of life, it's returned to Nike and you repurpose it? How, how customizable is it for the consumer? The, the shoe, in theory, could be customized. But at the moment, we're just trying to figure out the system itself of disassembly. You could take it apart yourself and you can put it back on quite easily. I think the evolution of these concept journeys are... So you, you know, work for one of the, well, I don't know, you probably are the biggest sportswear brand in the world. You're, you're a gigantic company with a huge global reach, uh, known by basically everyone on the planet. Why now do something like this? Why create something that's quite radical in terms of a design product? I'm imagining that you and your team are spending a lot of time having conversations about, you know, where we are going in terms of manufacturing and doing it better. But why is now the right time? And what's the statement that you're trying to make? Well, I don't think it's about the right time. Nike has always, for the last 20 years, pushed the boundaries of like sustainable thinking within manufacturing processes. If you think about the Flyknit, um, if you think about some of the ranges like the Consider range, which is about designing with modularity in mind so that the componentry can be separated and recycled at its end life. We have Regrind. I think it's just resonating more now with society because... You know, this team in ISPA, we, we really kind of lean heavily into, like, what culture's saying, what people are saying. We, we are, we're hearing and seeing and speaking the same things. And, you know, we just are, are expressing that emotive response through the medium of footwear. And what is ISPA and how does it work and how do you receive that information? I mean, I know you guys were down at Milan Design Week recently. You're obviously observing what's going on in maybe the broader industry or conversations on social media how are you kind of gathering this input and and yeah what do you do specifically okay so ispa stands for improvise scavenge protect and adapt and we we think about solution orientated design and what we how we garner those insights is through our own body of research and just through our own interests and the community that we're involved with and you know the external community and internal at nike you know, we, we garner support from everybody that's like, like-minded. And um, I think, I don't know, we just, we don't think about trends or anything like that. This is, these are just responses. And even the previous collections within ISBA are responses to kind of like what we hear and see within, within the communities of society. And yeah, they represent the, those um, narratives. Each one has a unique narrative every season. Yeah, I think that's a great summation of ISPA. Um, this is about now five years since uh, we began working in this project, Daryl. Sure, my name is Nicholas Schoenberger. I'm Senior Director of Corporate Narrative Communications at Nike. Obviously, performance is extremely important in what you're creating. How is this shoe going to hold up? What are the sorts of tests that you have to put it through? And how do you kind of create something that, you know, is a great idea, looks good, uh, it has a, you know exciting possibility for... for lowering the impact of Nike production, but it also has to work really, really well. So how do you manage that? Well, the, the performance attributes of the Link in particular, that's been heavily wear-tested for the last three years. That concept started a long time ago, and we have a DNA, like I was explaining, full of past explorations that have a similar process applied to the method to make. We just didn't have those manufacturing processes in place like we do today. So the advancements in innovation have helped us get into a place where that shoe is able to withstand the tolerances of the everyday life. I've been wearing mine for two and a half years. It, it's, it's battered and you would not think that it is glueless.
Mm. I got five miles in them yesterday. Yeah. They terrific. <laughs> they, they've got a beautiful bounce. They give you the structure you need. I think what's interesting for me is that ISPA is really a design project really explicitly connected to uh, those societal trends that Daryl mentioned, but also consideration of the built environment and what all of us go through daily in a city. And the evolution of that for Nike is probably now 12 to 15 years old as well as to sort of consider because Bill Bowerman, founder and, and one of the sort of original designers for Nike, eloquently said, if you have a body, you are an athlete. Now Nike is 50 years old celebrated uh, May 1st, 2022. And that notion continues to to build, not only in resonance with our design teams, uh, but I think also in in the ways that our shoes are adopted, adapted, and and used. So now I think with ISPA, you get this motion of um, intellectual intent for for the soul, as well as um, sort of the life in a city. And uh, that to me is one of the great repositionings of not only Bowerman's quote, but also the ways that we can back to life from a manufacturing perspective, from a supply chain perspective. Daryl Matthews and Nicholas Schomberger of Nike there. They were in conversation with Monocle's executive editor, Nolan Giles. The same stories, the same views dominate global news coverage. But The Globalist goes beyond the noise to unpack what's really happening to find fresh perspectives and considered voices in current affairs, business and much more. She was doing this all on her own and I think that she's been a real inspiration to journalists around the world, particularly where there are tough areas of freedom of speech. I think that one of the mantras that's going to come out of Washington in the Biden administration going forward is unity, but unity with accountability. The Globalist, live every weekday at 8 a.m. Zurich time, 7 a.m. in London, 2300 in Los Angeles, on Monocle 24, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, on today's show, we're taking a moment to pay tribute to Marcus Fares, the founder of Dezine, who has passed away at the age of 54. On Monocle 24's flagship news programme, The Globalist, presenter Emma Nelson discussed the impact of fairs and design with arts and culture journalist Amma Rose Abrams. It's that digital reach, taking that design and architecture news and putting it online. It reaches so many more people. It was him that started it in his bedroom. He saw, obviously, the potential for that and realised it with huge results. What's amazing about design is that because it is online... And, you know, and we all know an awful lot about the value of print journalism. If you have design journalism that is in constantly being updated and is working globally, it creates an entirely new um, sort of ecosystem, doesn't it? It does, and it really affects the industry as well. I mean, it means it gives you a total awareness of what's happening in different parts of the world with your profession. Anything from politics relating to that to just new design, innovations, and it creates a buzz, I think, and an excitement around what people are doing. Mm, and, and the fact that the zine will not be publishing any stories for the next 24 hours in, out of respect to Marcus Fares and his family. Our thoughts go out to Marcus's friends and family. He was a brilliant journalist and champion of design who will certainly be missed. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. Or, if you prefer print, then pick up a copy of Monocle magazine, 
on all good newsstands now. Today's show was produced by Nick Manise and Maylee Evans. She also edited the show with assistance from our studio managing team, Callum McLean, Chris Ablakwa and Sarah Nicholl. I'm Charlie Phil McCourt. Thank you for listening.